As we close out the summer series on the life of Christ, we get to close with a simple message and an incredibly victorious message that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. You know, when people tell me or ask me, why do we do so many of these humanitarian efforts? It's because God is a God of resurrection. And that's simply the reality. God is a God of resurrection. We see that in the life of Christ, but we also see that in the heart of God for the church and the heart of God for the world. God loves taking people from where they are, which is usually on the ground, as is the case in the stories of Jesus' interaction with people in need. He lifts them up, he strengthens them, and he frees them in so many powerful ways. God does that with us, he does that with the poor, and he does that with the world. God is a God of resurrection. He's all about resurrection. And frankly, so are we. We love stories of resurrection. We love stories of resurrection, of seeing people in desperate times, in tragic times, in times of need, or in times of failure, and to see them thrive again, rise up and thrive again. I'll give you three quick examples. Here's David Spleethoff. David Spleethoff is a pilot in Northern California. He actually is a spotter for the uh, California Department of Forestry uh, when it, uh, with wildfires. So uh, near his own hometown, his plane goes up and he's circling, spotting the fire, and he's calling down the direction the fire is going so they can kind of plan and prepare. So as he's calling down, he sees his own house burning to the ground. And he says, quote, when I saw my house burning, I took a deep breath and got back to work. He says, I knew when I land, I would start rebuilding, but for now I have a job to do. This is a story of resurrection. Somebody whose house is burning, he lands the plane after helping people, right? Lands the plane and gets to the work of rebuilding. A resurrection happens even after desperate times. Many of you know Ali Raisman. Ali Raisman is a very famous US gymnast uh, uh, Olympian. And she was abused, one of the hundreds of young women and girls abused by this monster, um, Dr. Nassar at uh, Michigan State. She had a tough decision to make. Her life was great, couldn't be greater, right? Olympic star, medal winner, just the top of her game, celebrity, Wheaties cover, you know, the whole thing, right? And she, said, she thought to herself, if I step up, admit that I was abused, I will be forever labeled somebody who was abused. And so she lived in that fear and that shame. But she got the strength to do it, she stepped out to do it, and she has helped tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of women, nationally and I think internationally, know that they do not have to live in fear, they do not have to live in shame, they do not have to live in silence, they can have the courage to, to step up, to get help, to admit that they have been abused and to eventually perhaps even look their abuser in the eye as she did in this courtroom. That's a story of resurrection. Staff Sergeant Adam Schumann, one of hundreds of thousands of men and women who served overseas, particularly in the Middle East, he saw tours of duty, he was injured and has severe PTSD. He lived in silence and he thought of killing himself many times. He planned to kill himself many times, but he finally reached out and is getting the help that he needs. This is a story of resurrection. We love these stories. Stories of resurrection give us hope. Hope that no matter where we are, we can get to a better place. And that is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. See, resurrection can be defined this way. Something new and something better is rising. In every story I share, something new and better is rising. The stories of what Jesus did in the lives of people that we've been studying all summer long is a story of something new and better rising. And when we see the resurrection of Jesus, we see that that is the pinnacle of God's heart for us. God wants to see us resurrected. He wants to see this creation he loves resurrected. 
Even personally, there's a, a season of resurrection coming for us. We've had a, an incredible summer. We dropped off our twins at college. Uh, the last one was yesterday, very you know, emotional time for sure. Uh, we're downsizing our house. So we dropped off two, our twins at school last week and sold our house last week. And, uh, and this whole, we raised our kids there. So it's, it's this whole fading of the old season and a rising to the new season. As my wife and I are going through this transition, we're trying to think more resurrection than we are what's fading. You know, let, let what's fading fade and celebrate that and feel that. But let's look forward to a season of resurrection. Something new and wonderful is, is going to come. And one of the services I, I, I didn't mention, we were downsizing. They thought I was moving out. And then they said, oh, you're moving? I said, no, we're staying. Oh. Jesus came for resurrection. He came to give that hope and to give that assurance that no matter where you are, you can get to where God envisions you to, to be. No matter what the world is going through in any particular moment with wars and natural disasters and fires and whatever else, God has a vision to get us where he wants us to be. God is a God of resurrection. He is all about resurrection. And so when we study the resurrection here in our final minutes together, uh, we are looking at 1 Corinthians 15. It's the most detailed teaching about the resurrection in all the scripture. And what's interesting about 1 Corinthians 15 is it, is it begins uh, with, this, with this imagination of what life might be like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, the author, says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins and those who have died in Christ are lost. He just kind of lays it out there. What would life be like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? And it's pretty tough. There would be no hope for this world. No hope for this world. The world would not be where it is today. It would, it would stay where it was before the resurrection of Jesus. And before the resurrection of Jesus, it was a power paradigm, a violence paradigm, a slavery paradigm a segregation paradigm, a racism paradigm, a sexism paradigm. That was life before Jesus everywhere. There was no hope. If you were this economy, this race, this gender, no hope for anything to get any better, you would always be under the threat of, of somebody else's power, somebody else's army, somebody else's control. That's the power paradigm. That was life before the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd still be there. Now there is hope for the world in Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for the resurrection, our faith would be futile. We would be gathering together for nothing. This would be a mockery. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this would be a total waste of time and you'd have much better things to do with your life. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, those who have died would be lost. There would be no assurance whatsoever that there is life after death. This surprises people, but the Old Testament doesn't talk about life after death couple of little vague allusions to life after death, but that's it. Why does the Old Testament in the Bible not talk about life after death? Because Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Even those who followed God before Jesus rose from the dead didn't know anything about the afterlife. I'm convinced many of them just had maybe some fanciful notions about whether there was or wasn't. We don't know about the afterlife until Jesus rises from the dead. So the New Testament freely talks about life after death. But since we know there is the resurrection of Christ, there is hope for this world. There is hope for this world. Not just that a man rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, but that God is in the business of resurrection, making all things that are old, new, broken, whole, far from God, near to God. He's in the business of resurrection. Because of the resurrection of, of, of Christ, our faith is the foundation of our life. 
We're here for a purpose. We show up on Sunday mornings and midweek and serving teams for a very meaningful purpose. Jesus rose from the dead. I get to experience that new life and I get to move the resurrection of Jesus forward as I love people, care for people, serve people, grow in life and grow in faith together. Our faith is meaningful. And then we get to live forever. I mean, that's the cool thing about the resurrection. Let's call this a kicker. Let's call it a bonus, right? Because Jesus walked out of the grave and is at the right hand of the Father, so we too will follow Jesus Christ into glory. I don't know a lot about what that means. The Bible doesn't say a lot about it, but we know there is an afterlife in Christ by his grace. We get to live forever. We know that because of the resurrection. That's exciting stuff. And this stuff is based on three truths found in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll go through them quickly. They're simple. Truth number one, Jesus died for sin. Jesus died for sin. This is a part of most of the songs we sing and a part of every message that we preach. It is so critical. Jesus died for sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 says this. This is of first importance, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. Jesus died for our sin. That means we don't have to work our way to God. We don't have to be moral. We don't have to be pure. We don't have to be religious. We don't have to be devout to earn anything from God. He simply gives us the forgiveness of sin. He gives us his grace. He gives us his mercy. He gives us an unbroken and unbreakable relationship with him by grace through Jesus Christ because he died for our sin. Yeah, that's awesome. We don't have to forgive ourselves. We don't have to become better people, although that tends to happen when you're loved so much, right? We don't have to work our way to God's grace or favor. He simply gives it to us through the crucifixion of Christ. That is super awesome. Jesus died for sin. Here's what happened at the cross. When Jesus died, God made a great exchange. Jesus received what the world deserves, so the world would receive what Jesus deserves. It's that simple. The cross of Christ is essentially Jesus Christ taking the suffering, sin, and shame of the world willingly upon himself and replacing it with his love and righteousness. It's a great exchange. My sin was given to Jesus, so his righteousness is given to me. My condemnation given to Jesus, so his reward is given to me. It's free. I just simply receive it. That's the gift of grace. It's a great exchange. Now, there are people who believe this, and there are people who don't. What is impossible, nearly impossible not to believe, is that Jesus Christ was crucified. In fact, a a renowned New Testament scholar, John uh, Grosson, he says this about the crucifixion. He's not a, a Christian but he says this about the crucifixion, that Jesus was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. He's a scholar, PhD scholar, not necessarily giving himself to the atonement of sin and the resurrection of Christ, but he says this Jesus lived and this Jesus was crucified. We can, we can, we can build a, a foundation upon that. Jesus was crucified, truth number one. Truth number two, Jesus was buried and rose. Jesus was buried and rose. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 goes on to say that Jesus was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Now, this is where people get a little bit caught, especially if you're a skeptic. And I consider myself to be a bit of a skeptic. If somebody says something that's kind of outlandish, I do the side eye. I'm not rude, but it's like, I'll give them a side eye. You just said something that doesn't make a lot of sense, doesn't sound reasonable. You get my side eye, and I hope you see that. Very important. I practice. Rancho tends to welcome everybody, right? Doors are wide open, we welcome everybody. So we welcome those who have been following Christ their whole life, those who have unwavering faith, but we also welcome the side eyes. We want people to come in. If you're an atheist, agnostic, skeptic, whatever, you just come here and you just keep coming 
And there's a lot of people, some friends of mine that keep coming and, and they just got questions, right? We're walking a journey of faith together. And, and some of them have become fairly good friends of mine, right? You hear about the resurrection and that's side-eye time. You say, what? A man who was killed rose from the dead. Doesn't make sense. That's, some people tap out at that point. I, I can kind of buy, they say, that a man named Jesus, very selfless, loving man, lived and had a huge influence. I can buy that this man had such a huge influence that all the powerful people out there wanted him dead because the people were flocking to Jesus and it was threatening those in power, religious and, and governmental. I can buy the fact that this Jesus was so threatening they would murder him in the streets because that was common. But the fact that he rose again from the dead on the third day, I don't know. I just can't get my head around that, right? That Jesus was buried then rose again. There is a German scholar, again, not necessarily Christian per se, a brilliant person. His name is Rudolf Schneckenberg. I want that last name now. I, from now on, call me Pastor Schneckenberg. It would be awesome, just fun. He says this about the empty tomb. Most exegetes, just most scholars who study this subject accept the historicity of the empty tomb. So what does that mean? That means even non-Christian scholars are saying Jesus lived, lived a powerfully selfless life, died on the cross, and the tomb was empty. That's the only way to explain what happened in those first centuries. How could a quarter of the city of Jerusalem become Christians based on the message of the resurrection of Jesus if that tomb wasn't empty? Truth number one, Jesus died. Truth number two, that tomb is empty. Truth number three, Jesus appeared. This is where it gets to a decision point. Jesus appeared. If, if Jesus died on a cross and the tomb was empty and he didn't appear to anybody, that would not have made history. Hey, did you hear the body of Jesus isn't there anymore? Oh, wow, that's weird. That's all it would be. A body disappeared. That's weird, but okay, it disappeared. What do you, there's some explanation. Jesus appeared, not to just one or two, not to just the famous 12 disciples, apostles, but listen to what the apostle Paul says about the appearing of Jesus after his crucifixion. Jesus appeared to Cephas. Okay, great, one guy could have been mentally ill. Then to the 12, these are the 12 that spent four years of their life with Jesus. They all saw the resurrected Jesus, except for Judas. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Wow. The Apostle Paul is writing publicly very boldly about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, I can introduce you to hundreds of people that spent time with the resurrected Jesus after his crucifixion. You want to have tea with them? A lot of them are still living. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. That's a broader group of people. And last of all, he appeared to me also. He says, I'm an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Wow, that's compelling. Now a skeptic could have one of two possible explanations. A skeptic could say, you know what? Uh, and this is, this is a true theory. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He was just knocked unconscious and was buried and then kind of snapped out of it, moved a big boulder and walked out, right? Now, if the Romans knew how to do anything, they knew how to kill. They were expert 
in murder. They knew how to kill. There is not an historical example of someone surviving a crucifixion. Not only is it absolutely torturous and horrific and shuts down every single organ in your body, but the last thing they do, and this is a little graphic, they take a spear under your rib cage and shove it into your heart and drain your body of blood and water. Does somebody get laid into a tomb and, oh boy, that was a rough day. Move a boulder and walk, I mean, come on. A second explanation is that Jesus' body was stolen in a, in a conspiracy theory. People got together to conspire to steal the body of Jesus, which was guarded by Roman soldiers because he was considered to be an enemy of the state. Here's how this would go. I'm going to play act this, right? I'm a super good actor. Let's say I'm Peter. Peter comes up with all the crazy ideas. Peter says, hey, you know what? Guys, gather around. I know there's a lot of us, right? There's a lot of us following Jesus from Galilee to to Judah. Let's gather around. Auditorium, maybe this size, thousand plus people, all the followers of Jesus Christ. I got a great idea. You're going to love it. I know we're still kind of smarting because our leader was crucified. And I know it's only been 24 hours. And I know it's the Sabbath day and you shouldn't be here anyway. But, you know, let's, let's come up with this plan. We're going to send a bunch of us to take our sticks and butter knives because we're peasants. We don't own anything. We're going to go attack the Roman soldiers guarding the body of Jesus Christ. We're going to move the rock. We're going to steal his body. We're going to do away with it. We're going to hide it, dump it, burn it, whatever, grind it. We just got to get it out. And then we're going to make up this story. Are you ready, guys? Here's the story. Jesus rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead, and we're going to make up stories that he visited you, 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 and then you 500 at a time, and these 12, and these 30, that he visited us over a period of seven weeks. We're going to make up these elaborate stories, right? It's going to be awesome. You ready? We're going to gain nothing. Not only are we going to gain nothing from it, but we will be ostracized. We will have a hard time finding work. We will be beaten. Some of our guys among us are going to be crucified. Some are going to be beheaded. It will be a crime to follow Jesus Christ. And over time, we're going to be thrown to lions, uh, dipped in tar and set on fire alive in gardens. Uh, Anybody up to that? The whole room would have to say yes, and they'd have to keep that story alive without wavering until every single last one was dead. Does that sound plausible? So as a skeptic, as a cynic, (laughs) I am left with very few options when it comes to Jesus. I am and always have been all in to following him as a man. Greatest life ever lived. Greatest vision of what life could be. All of the world living out one law, a law of love. I'm in on that no matter what. This resurrection thing puts him as Lord of all. And I don't have any other option. As much as the skeptic and cynic in me would say, I rose again from the dead. I'm looking at God's word. I'm looking at the eyewitness accounts. I'm looking at how his followers gave their life for this message. Having seen him, I witnessed risen from the dead. Even though I can't prove it, and even though everything in my brain says that it's not making sense, I do also very much believe there's a God who created this world who can do whatever he wants, and he happened to raise his son Jesus from the dead. It is on the reasonable side, and I'm telling you the good news of that is powerful. The good news of that is powerful. The good news of the resurrection of Christ sets the course of our minds, our lives, and this world in powerful ways. Because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, half of the world now follows Jesus Christ with the basic built-in worldview that there is defeat of sin, defeat of the enemy, defeat of injustice, defeat of suffering, and defeat of death. 
If, if that's what we embrace by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that gives us so much hope going forward, doesn't it? I mean, what a cool place to place your life on. All enemies, all evil, all suffering, even death itself is defeated, and there is hope ahead. That's incredible. The resurrection brings hope to a hopeless world and hope to hopeless people. People without hope, if they hear about this, this resurrection, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but that God is a God of resurrection wherever you are, no matter how low you are to the ground, as Jesus kneeled down and cared for people, bore their burdens and lifted them up, that's what God does. God resurrects. And every single one of us can be on a journey of resurrection from where we are to where God envisions us. And finally, the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope that we get to live forever. That's the kicker, that's the good news. That even death itself was defeated by Jesus. So I can have that little assurance in my soul that when somebody calls me and says, I've lost a loved one, there's that little assurance in my soul that you'll see him again. There's a little assurance in my soul that when I lose a family member, I'll see him again. There's a little assurance in my soul that when my time comes, that's not the end of it all. And why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. So many good things happen by the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is not just a story 2,000 years ago, it's our story right now. We can walk a journey of resurrection. This world is walking a journey of resurrection. This world is replacing the terrible paradigm of power and violence with the paradigm of love. All of that is driven by the resurrection of Jesus and it is continuing today. And we get to be a part of seeing that resurrection story continue to be built in this world by every act of love, by every hand of every Christian that does what Jesus did. Gets down to where people are in need and helps lift them up to a life of resurrection. I'm gonna close in prayer and as I do, I'm gonna pray really two things. Number one is a prayer of faith. If you've been a skeptic, a cynic, I'm just asking you to take that little leap, right? I did it, I, I have never looked back. It's such an incredible life to place your life on the gospel, the good news of love and grace and hope ahead. I'm also gonna pray a prayer that leads us into the next season of Rancho's ministry. We are heading into our 50th year anniversary and we are charting the course for the next 50 years. That's what we're doing this month. This month of Rancho, the next four weeks, is charting the course for the next 50 years. And it's through this campaign called Count Me In, but it's more than just a fundraising deal. It really is a, a, a life that says, I am here to advance the cause of Christ by my time, treasure, talents. I'm in, count me in, I'm here. Let's go after it, all right? Let me pray. Our God and Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your love through Jesus Christ. Every song, every message, we thank you for that. Because of the love of Jesus Christ, we know that we're forgiven. We don't have to earn anything from you. We don't have to work our way towards you. We don't have to be moral, pure, devout, or religious. We simply receive your love and grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift you give us. Thank you that we are that loved. Thank you that there is resurrection, a story of resurrection. You're a God of resurrection. So no matter where we are or where we have come from, no matter what guilt and shame and failures we carry, no matter what people have said about us or have done to us, none of that defines us. We are defined by what you say of us and you say we are forgiven. You say we are blameless. You say we are your perfect daughters and sons. Thank you for that. We thank you for what you have done for us, only good things you've given your son Jesus Christ for us to forgive our sin so that nothing separates us from you. And God, that resurrected life is, is ours to live. We can live a life that is in line with your vision for us, a life of love, a life of service, a life of sacrifice, a life that 
over time is increasingly like the life of Jesus Christ. God, you are also resurrecting this whole world as the paradigm of power and violence fades, a paradigm of love is emerging unlike ever before in human history. Thank you that we can be a part of that. I pray that we would try to love unconditionally in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our church, uh, to the stranger and to those in need, that we would love indiscriminately, love selflessly and sacrificially like Jesus did towards us, that we would see this whole world resurrected where love is the only law and the kingdom of heaven rules. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.